The talk you're about to listen to is given by David Heddle at Seaford Baptist Church in Seaford, Virginia on July 19, 2009. David Heddle is a physicist working at Jefferson Laboratory and at, as a professor at Christopher Newport University in Newport News, Virginia. He blogs at helives.blogspot.com. And this talk is titled God and the Cosmos. But has a lot to share with us about God and the cosmos. So I will get out of the way. So it's welcome, David Heddle. Thank you. Well, let me open it with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for everyone who's here. Uh, as we look in your creation, Lord, we, we want to keep in mind one thing. That as Christians, we understand that we are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. As we look into doctrinal issues, we thank you that we are not saved by having a correct doctrine of the end times, of the beginning times, or other times. We thank you that we are saved by a faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I say this as I pray that we will be charitable to one another if we should get into areas of disagreement, and that in all things we bring glory to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, this on. I am uh, from Christopher Newport and, and the Jefferson Lab. I, I also attend the Baptist church. and um, I usually have a lot of Baptist jokes, but since I'm in a Baptist church today, I tried to remove them in case they didn't go over well. But if, I, <laughs> if any of them are still in there, then it's at my expense. <laughs> yes, I'll, any new ones you have. Um, about a year ago, even less than that, Discover Magazine, which is a popular science magazine, not a hardcore science magazine, but nevertheless, it came out with a story in its online edition that said, uh, basically says this, and they're spot on. If you look at the cosmos, if you look at how the universe is set up, there's really only two choices you can make. Uh, either God created the universe with the intent for life to exist in it, or there have to be a million, gazillion, infinite number of universes, and we just happen to be in one of the lucky ones. There's really no alternative. And I hope that, I know some of you have been going through or have gone through things like the case for the Creator, which makes similar arguments when it talks about cosmology, but that's what we're going to talk about today, for the most part. How is it that we can look at the universe and not be drawn into either one of those camps. Either there are many universes or the universe has been designed for life. Those are really the only rational choices. Um, and we'll see a lot of quotes uh, along this line. Can you see this in the back? Uh, if there's only one universe, you might have to have a fine tuner. If you don't want God, you better have multiple universes. And it certainly is a true statement. I'm going to talk about uh, fine tuning. Uh, if you've talked about fine-tuning when looking at case for the creator or other things, I have a slightly different spin on it, but not radically different. I'm going to talk about cosmology and uh, things like the Big Bang. Uh, uh, some examples of the fine-tuning are scattered throughout. Um, other possibilities, what could else, else could explain some of these cosmic coincidences, if you want to use that term. Uh, and then uh, the idea, if we get to it, of whether there could be a tiebreaker. Is there something about the universe that could distinguish between the idea that it was designed and the idea that it is just one universe out of many. And the tiebreaker people sometimes propose, I'll give it away, is that the universe doesn't seem to be 
merely fine-tuned for life to exist. It seems to be fine-tuned for doing scientific observations. And that is something you say, well, if, there's a, if it's just that we're in a lucky universe that happens to have the right conditions for life, why would it also be true that we seem to be in a universe that is geared for scientific observations? So um, we'll talk about that as well if we get to it. Now, what is fine-tuning? It's, uh, it's the observation that for any kind of life, anywhere in the universe, not just our kind of life, but any kind of life you can possibly imagine, it would be impossible if you took the physical constants, and what are they? If you studied physics at all or science at all, you know what I'm talking about. Things like how strong the gravitational force is, uh, the ratio of the proton mass to the electron mass. If you took any of those numbers, which we don't know where they come from, all we can do is measure them, and you tweak them a little bit, you end up with a universe where there's no chance at all for life. And usually the way you end up with a universe that is unfit for life is that you end up with a universe that has no stars in it. And that's going to be a recurring theme. If you have a universe with no galaxies and no stars, you're not going to have life of any kind, not just life as we know it. And oh, by the way, feel free to interrupt as I'm talking. Here's just one example. We know that if the universe from the beginning expanded just a wee bit faster than it did, it would have expanded as such a, in such a way that the, the gas would have expanded before it could condense and form galaxies and stars and planets. If it had expanded just a little bit more slowly, it would have stopped and recollapsed on itself, and we would have either a universe that was basically only hydrogen and helium, no stars, no life, or a universe that was probably a giant neutron star or black hole. Again, no life. So fine-tuning is based on this idea that life is sensitive to the values of these constants. Where I differ from some people is they'll also say that it's kind of based on the improbability of these constants. I don't agree with that. I'll talk about that a little bit later. My definition of fine-tuning only deals with the fact that life is sensitive to the values of these constants. You turn the knob a little bit, and you don't get life. The Discover article has a, a lot of these things in there. Uh, we'll talk about them later. But uh, just, again, just to give you the flavor of it, of the kind of things that people talk about with fine-tuning, uh, if the universe, if the, the matter in the universe had been uh, too uniform, there would be nothing for... Uh, uh, there'd be no seeds where galaxies could form. They require certain non-uniformity in the early universe. But if it had been too clumpy, then we also wouldn't be able to support galaxies and stars. If the force that holds nuclei together, this is what we deal with at Jefferson Lab all the time, the nuclear force, if that force is just a little bit weaker, we would have only hydrogen in the universe. If it was a little bit stronger, a proton and a proton would bind together, which they don't do now. If that would happen, again, we couldn't have any life. We wouldn't have elements like oxygen. We wouldn't have water. Right. <clears throat> now, I think one of the cool things to sort of set the stage for this way of thinking um, is to talk about water. Water is truly in some, in the most amazing substance in the universe. Right. It has a list of anomalous properties uh, of which this is just part of it. Water is very different from other substances. It has, uh, other substances may have some of these properties, but not all of them. 
water has a high latent heat. Now, I don't expect anybody, unless you've studied phys physics, to know what that means. That means, however, if you want to change it from one state to another, you've got to supply a lot of heat. It means, in principle, that compared to other things, it's hard to freeze water. Right? You have to, and it's hard to thaw water. Right? This is a property of water. And uh, another property of water is that it has what's called a high specific heat. That means it's very hard to change its temperature. These two properties together are very important for temperature regulation on the Earth. The ocean can absorb a lot of heat from the sun and the temperature doesn't go up very much. If water had a little, a small specific heat and you pump the energy from the sun into the ocean, the ocean would boil away. Right? So it's very important for the, the weather and the thermal stability of the Earth that water has these properties. Uh, it has a low thermal conductivity. That's very uh, similar. It's a, one of its amazing properties, it's the, it's the greatest solvent in the natural world. So it allows chemical reactions to occur that are necessary for life. The water splashes against the rocks on the shore. It dissolves them a little bit. It returns nutrients back into the ocean by doing that. If water were not a solvent, it couldn't do that. The one I just want to zero in on is a very famous property of water, which is very anomalous, is that most things contract when they get cold, right? And water does the same thing. It contracts when it gets cold. It gets smaller and smaller. But right at the last minute, right before it freezes, it expands. And because of that, ice floats. Right? And ice is one of the few substances in the universe that floats in its own melt. When I was a kid, we used to make fishing sinkers. Probably would be violating all sorts of health regulations to do this now. I don't know if you can still do it. But we'd, we'd take a vat and put the lead in it, melt the lead, and you, and you take it out and you pour it into the mold for the fishing sinkers. And if you took one of those sinkers and threw it into the vat of liquid lead, it wouldn't float like an iceberg on the top. It would sink. Almost everything is like that. Water is one of the few things that is different. Now, what would happen if it didn't float? If it didn't float, what would happen is you have a lake, winter, the ice freezes on the top. If it didn't float, it would sink to the bottom. Now, the top exposed to the cold freezes again. That layer sinks to the bottom every body of water would freeze from the bottom up. Whatever's living in that lake would die. Instead, it just floats on the top, and it's a good thermal insulator, property from the previous page. The water underneath stays fine for the marine life that's in it. So this strange property of water allows marine life to survive the winter when the lakes freeze. Not only that, when the lakes freeze from the bottom up, they would not melt very easily in the summer. The climate of the Earth would be radically different. It would not support life. So this is just a flavor of this, that there are all these coincidences, and that you can imagine quotes around that word, that allow us to survive. And water is one of the, uh, the more interesting ones. Now, one of the things that's interesting on the Internet is you often argue about science with people who don't know anything about science. And if you argue about fine-tuning with people who don't know anything about science, who are atheistic, and they'll tell you that it doesn't exist. They're wrong. If you talk to scientists, whether or not they're atheists or not, they will agree that fine-tuning is a real phenomenon, that the universe really is on a razor's edge in its ability to support life. Now, they may say they don't like that term, fine-tuning, which didn't come from theists, by the way, because it kind of implies an intelligence behind it, but they acknowledge that, all that might, although that might be a bad term from their perspective, they acknowledge that the existence of life is on a razor's edge. You move things around, you don't get any life. 
Now, what, how can you explain that? It turns out, again, that there are basically two explanations. Neither one is very scientific. Neither one can really be tested. One explanation is the theistic one. All right? It's untestable and it's supernatural, and that's that God designed the universe so that it would support life. Now, how do you go and do an experiment to prove that? You can't. Right? You can believe it or not, but you can't really test it. The other is that there are many universes, and we happen to live in one of the few that are fertile, rather than cannot support life. How do you test that? You can't, because it turns out that different universes cannot communicate with one another. That would violate general relativity, one of the great theories of physics. Right? So I can't, if there's this other universe there, there's no causal connection. I can't do an experiment to detect the other universe. So both scientists and theists, and, and then in cases like my own, crossing the boundary, will support one of these two untestable theories. So, as I said, everyone accepts the idea that our universe is fine-tuned. The question really is, is there one or many universes? If there's many universes, then ours just appears to be fine-tuned because if it weren't, we wouldn't be here to talk about it. We'd all, we wouldn't be alive. This is the Douglas Adams, if you've ever read Douglas Adams' puddle analogy, which is a microbe wakes up in a puddle and says, this is wonderful, I live in this perfect environment, but the only reason that the microbe can say that is because if the puddle weren't there, the microbe would be dead, it wouldn't, or would never have lived in the first place. So many scientists will say, okay, the universe appears fine-tuned, that's only because if it weren't, we wouldn't be here. We're in one of the lucky universes. Or there's one universe, and now if there's one universe, there really is only one explanation, uh, God. But you can add a couple pseudo-explanations. One is that, well, maybe we're just lucky. Right? Maybe just the one universe there happens to be, everything is just right for life. That seems untenable. And the other is that this fine-tuning is an illusion. That's also not really tenable because we have so many examples of it, and it's not really disputed. So again, the choices are really one universe and God, many universes. Now, it is true that if there are many universes, I don't have it on here, but you could still say there's God. That for whatever reason, God decided to create multiple universes. But really, that's what we're talking about. One universe and God, or many universes and no God. Now, again, fine-tuning, I said, is related to sensitivity. If some constant isn't close to the value that it has, then we wouldn't have any life. Now, I keep forgetting that I can do this. There's no way, this is why I differ from some of the intelligent design people who um, like to tie the idea of if I have a constant that has to have a certain value, that's highly improbable. And that's one way of looking at it. I don't think it's the right way to look at it. I think fine-tuning only cares that this constant, if I change it, I don't get life. In fact, what the multi-universe theories say is that there are all these universes with all these different values for the constants, and we live in, obviously, in the one that supports life. So they kind of predict, in fact, that the constants, the values that we have, are highly improbable, that the only reason we see them is because there's so many universes. From my perspective, if, if there was ever a fundamental, fundamental theory that predicted the value of the constants, it would turn atheists and the theists, sort of just speculating here, uh, in droves, because if I now have a theory that says this constant is not improbable, it's, a it's part of the fabric of space itself, and it's the one that you need to support life, 
you now have as close as you can come to, I think, a scientific proof of God, that he created the one universe and he made the values of the constants um, come out of the laws of physics that he created in order to support life. So what you're saying is if it turns out that you can't even have space without those constants being what they are, right. then that is a strong, compelling argument then that not only, not only does it just need that to support life, but you can't even have space if the constant isn't that, then you're saying that would be the extra boost that you kick them out. I think so. I, so I think it's, I take almost the opposite point of view. It's not the low probability that points to God. It's if we ever have a fundamental theory that predicts these constants, then you've got a, a, a bulletproof demonstration. Could you explain more how it is that the multiverse is, for people who believe in it, works? How, what is it about a multiverse that helps well, them the, if, if they're right? What, what helps them is that uh, there's a whole slew of multiverse theories, but they basically have the same character, which is that by some mechanism or another, you create more multiple universes, and each one has a different collection of constants. Now, if you talk about the string theory, which is probably the most common multiverse theory, uh, what they predict is if you look at the string theory equations, there's something on the order of 10 to the 1,000. That's essentially infinity. That's the one with 1,000 zeros, right? Solutions to those equations, and each solution corresponds to a possible universe, and each solution has its own set of constants. So if you have that big of a sample of constants, you're going to find some universes that are habitable. And the values for, of those constants, or in fact for any other universe, it would be like dealing a hand of cards. Any single hand is just as improbable as any other hand, but some of them look nicer than others, right? So that would be the idea. Does that answer your question? Um, you're going to see quotes uh, through the rest of the talk about fine-tuning from scientists. Uh, again, some of them are atheists, some of them are theists. Uh, all of them acknowledge there's fine-tuning, and uh, some of them look, see it as evidence for multiple universes. Some see it as evidence for a designer. Yeah. Right. Right now, we don't have a theory that predicts the constants. All right. I think if you ask many who are would call themselves intelligent intelligent designers, um, they would sort of speculate that that might not be a good thing. Where those on the other side think it is a good thing. Let me say what I mean. Sometimes I'll get into these arguments, and people will say, "Well, we just so what if it's fine tuned? We don't know where this constant comes from. Maybe it comes from some equation that we haven't developed yet." Maybe it has to have that value. Maybe it's built into the fabric of space-time. There's no choice but that it has the value that it has. Okay, so it's kind of the multiversers are saying it right. Yes. So if, if you're if you're in favor, if <laughs> if, if you're a theist, yeah. then here's what you do. You ask yourself, at the present state of intelligent design, what they're saying is that you have the slot machine and it can land on anything. And the fact that it landed on the right thing means that uh, God rigged the slot machine so that it lands on the right thing. All right? That's fine. But if the slot machine, in fact, only has one possible answer, you have, in my opinion, a more elegant solution for God. You have God saying, I didn't even roll the dice and just engineer it so it came up at the right answer. I built the right answer into the fabric of the universe. So instead of the slot machine, you have a Coke machine. 
Right. Right. You're going to get the Coke. It's a Coke machine with only Coke buttons, no Sprite or anything. <laughs> okay, now I've got an analogy in my mind. All right, good. I have to do that. That works. But there are constants that we have discovered in architecture. It's all kinds of numbers. Right. I, I, I'm not sure. I think you're talking about the sort of geometric constants, you mean? Right. right. Here we're talking about the physical constants, like the speed, of light. the speed of light. Nobody knows why the speed of light is 3 times 10 to the 8th meters per second. It just we have to measure it. There's no theory that says that's what the speed of light is going to be. So uh, that's, those constants that lead to a, a universe that's habitable, either they could be anything and God picked the right values, that's one possibility, or God built into the fundamental laws of physics, which haven't been discovered yet, that those values would naturally come out. The, the multiverse guys would say, yeah, there's a universe where the speed of light is this. And yes. There's another universe where the speed of light is that. And so there's all these myriad things. What he's saying is maybe if you come up with a theory of universes, you may discover there's only one thing the speed of light could be for a universe. Right. That's a good way to put it. And in any universe, no matter what it is, you can't build a universe unless the speed of light is that. Is what he's and, and I think this, this perspective that it's, it's the high probability case that's more interesting in my mind, I think it would extend into biology as well. I think that it would be interesting not to look so much at what's the improbability of life, but what if it was life was inevitable, and then, again, is that bad or good for, for intelligent design? I actually think it's good, but I'm in a minority. They would all say, no, that's bad. We want to concentrate on the low probability case as evidence for God. I guess to summarize it, I think you can take either perspective, that it's the low probability or the high probability case, but in any case, fine-tuning has nothing to do with that. It only is a statement about the sensitivity of the universe to these constants. All right. Uh, my perspective. I'm a Christian. I'm a scientist. I was actually a scientist before I was a Christian. I was a practicing.